0: Head to thenextreel.com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way.
2: I guarantee you that at some point, everything's going to go south on you.
0: Ready?
3: You're gonna say this is it. Get him! Get him! This is how I end.
1: Commander, Mark is dead. We have to go.
4: Now you can either accept that or you can get to work.
2: This will come as quite a shock to my crewmates and to NASA
4: and to the entire world. But I'm still alive.
3: Surprise.
0: This is the Next Reels film board, everybody. Each month, the gang of thugs gathers to take on one film currently in theaters and spoil that film rotten this month. Thanks to the incredible ingenuity of the boys at JPL, we're happy to report that we've survived our long exile on Mars with Sir Ridley Scott's The Martian. I'm Pete Wright, and making up the gang this month, we have, playing the part of Matt Damon Lost in the movie Jerry, Steve Sarmento.
3: I just flew in from Mars, and boy, are my arms tired.
0: (laughs) Playing the uh, part of Matt Damon Lost on the front lines as Private Ryan, we have Tom Metz. Hello, friends. Glad to be here. Playing the part of Matt Damon lost from Interstellar, Justin Yeager. I'm so alone. (laughs) And finally, playing the lost Matt Damon, outrunning the espionage industrial complex as Jason Bourne, Andy Nelson.
1: Hey, can't wait to talk about Interstellar 2. The story of man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into that film, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com slash filmboard. Subscribe for free on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Real. Be sure to join us over at instagram.com slash thenextreel and play the Instagram hashtag pony Prize, hashtag guess the movie challenge contest going on weekly. <laughs> oh, the Martian. The movie, based on the meticulously crafted book, originally I should say series of blog posts by computer scientist Andy Weir, tells the story of astronaut and botanist Mark Watney mistakenly abandoned on Mars by a crew that thinks he's been killed in a freak storm. Watney's industrious allows him to stay alive, to grow food on a planet where nothing grows for a year and a half, rekindling our national interest in a hunky science hero since the original Inspector Gadget left the airwaves. Around the horn, gentlemen, how did we like it? Steve, you go first.
3: This is the science film... We needed it's a powerful and inspiring story of innovation, creative problem solving, and the requirement of cl- collaboration and compromise to get big things done. This is a story that multiple generations need to
0: see. Wow, big, Whoa. big words. Uh, I, Andy, would you like to follow that?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> 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 I, um, you know, I knew that this was going to be a, a tricky one coming in, uh, especially with Steve. <laughs> 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 I, um, I feel like this quite uh, a bit how I felt about Everest, actually. I mm. found myself um, kind of enjoying the ride, but on the whole, I never got into it. I never got excited about it. The only bit that really pulled me in was the, uh, the final rescue bit, and um, that kind of bummed me out a little bit. I, I almost feel like we should just shut it off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> JJ, uh something fun
2: and unique happened to me in the movie and I went it, that the sort of change up of styles that happened over the course of the film really worked for me. And what I mean by that is it, the way that they started things with the exposition in the first half Uh, made me feel a lot like a hater and that I was going to walk out unemotional and, and detached. And when we started the ride and we started to get to the rescue and we started to gear up for the rescue, I found that actually that initial style helped me. Uh, to get into the film. Uh, the, everything seemed really on the nose in the first half, and I was nervous that I wasn't going to like it, but it turned around for me. And I think I'm, I'm so glad that, that, um, that you bring up Everest, Andy, because I think that there's a fair amount of crosstalk we can have about Everest here um, and the ideas of truth and the ideas of the story and, uh, and, and what matters because the, what Ridley Scott did here and what, um, what Goddard did here uh, worked for me. And, um, and I liked it because of that.
0: All right. Uh, Tommy, it's you.
4: Uh, I haven't seen Everest, uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. Uh, as far as this movie, um, I was the one that was not a fan of the book. I haven't met another person who has read the book and didn't absolutely love it. I was not a fan of it uh, for reasons that we can maybe get into later, but I really did enjoy this movie quite a bit. It brought me what I thought the book was lacking or what I was lacking when I was reading the book. Uh, I thought it was an interesting turn for Ridley Scott, and I thought it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the experience.
0: I, uh, I saw it yesterday, and uh, uh, the, my first thought this morning was, when can I see it again today? Uh, And could I fit it in twice today before the show? I adored this film. It reminded me of the very best of Ridley Scott. It boasted a fantastic cast and source material that I think ably made the leap from page to screen. Even the material they cut, the changes they made at the end, they hit me right where it counts. I am a massive fan of the book. Uh, I think it's, uh, it 's I think Andy Weir did a, an incredible job with uh, the book. I adored it, and um, the movie I think translated exactly the way I needed it to translate uh, and uh, they are They are different animals, but different in ways that I deeply 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 appreciate so uh, i I am uh, very excited about this, and i can 't wait to um, to kick Andy off the call. If he says anything else. <laughs> makes me sensitive else about this, uh, let's, let's start with the book then. And I, I think, uh, maybe Tommy, since you're the one who didn't like it, and I know, cause JJ, have you read it? No, I have not. Okay. So we have Steve who's read it. I've read it. Uh, and Tommy read it, didn't like it. Uh, Andy, you have not read it and JJ Correct. hasn't read it. Okay. So let's just do a brief conversation about the book and then we'll move into the, the meat of the movie. Uh, Tommy, why didn't you like the book?
4: And it could, as I sort of alluded to, it, I'm very much uh, willing to take it on myself, that it was something that I was looking for that I didn't get, and if that's just not you know, the writer's choice, then that should be fine. But what I was missing, because the book, the majority of the book, especially for the first half, is just journal entries, in, in effect, I was missing the, the terror and the sadness and the depression and the frustration that being alone in being left for dead or assuming that you're dead, it mars. that didn't come through enough for me that the character of Watney in the book was too glib and too wry a lot of the time. And I like that sense of humor. I think that's important, but it was the majority of the book was that for me. Whereas the movie really gave us times, you know, when you're having a panic attack or you're hitting a wall out of anger, you don't mention that in your journal. And so I like that the movie gave us that stuff because for me, the book didn't enough. He didn't seem to be that scared in the book. And as a result, it made it hard for me to be as concerned as I should have been for him. And the movie worked that out for me.
0: You know, I'm, I find it interesting that you thought the movie worked that out. I did not have that feeling personally on the book. And I think it's interesting when you, I, I listened to this wonderful interview with Andy Weir today, um, uh, the, the talking room with Andy Weir and Adam Savage. Uh, and, you know, it's an hour of them talking about specifically the book, and this was done, you know, before the movie was obviously released, but they knew the movie was happening. Um, and uh, one of the things that he had reflected, that Weir had reflected, was that, you know, he it was sort of his intention to capture the professionalism of the astronauts and to to, to look at Watney as the sort of pinnacle of professionalism and that you know the things that come through on the journal are his his wit but also that he is buoyed by his ingenuity and for that that for me at least is what made him such an aspirational hero right like mm-hmm. we, i didn't i didn't need the terror because like i got it i got i got the circumstance you know what i'm saying uh, and, and so for me, I, I agree with you. It was nice to see those moments of, in the film of, of frustration. But, but uh, boy, I didn't find myself missing that from the book uh, at all. And so I guess I'm curious, like, that's what made you not like the book overall?
4: That I remember, yeah. Because when you, when you robbed that thing, again, that I was personally looking for. And granted, maybe I'm a huge horror fan. And yeah, I like yeah. my sci-fi scary. And so when you're dealing with space, which as we know from films like gravity is the worst place in the world. I, well, I guess that phrase doesn't work, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Space is the worst. Um, is, uh, I just wanted a little bit more of that, that I wanted, uh, the fail, the personal breakdown and then the triumphant of his botany powers and all of that. After that, I was left with a bunch of science and maybe I'm again, not the biggest fan of just me of, Figuring out a bunch of science when I wanted it to be a little bit more emotional.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that. Steve, how do you think it translated?
3: Oh, well, you know, I love the book. And what I really appreciate, I think the, the, vo- the voice of Mark Watney in the book, you know, the, the first, I forget how many pages it is, just his journal entries before we get back to Earth to really see what's going on. And so the, the good front part of the book, you know, his voice has to entertain and keep you engaged. And he is a scientist, but we can't, you know, if you've got 60 pages of just dry science, um, you're going to lose your readers. And so I think, you know, Andy Weir did a nice job of balancing that and showing Mark Watney as a, as a human being who's got to, you know, he's a well-rounded person. Yes, he knows all this botany in the book. I think he's also like a mechanical engineer, has a degree in that. but those those lighter moments of how when you're in isolation you have to entertain yourself and they, they brought a lot of those elements into the movie but i remember actually laughing out loud as i was reading the book because in the there's a little bit more backstory about the uh entertainment materials he has and that everybody could bring some stuff and in the movie we get to see that uh to a limited amount but the line that just caught me off guard i wasn't expecting this on page 24 of the book i'm reading and he's talking about you know planning for tomorrow he's like ah well for tonight i have to get back to three's company i stopped last night in the middle of the episode where mr roper (laughs) saw something and took it out of context (laughs) (laughs) which is anybody that's seen that show knows that's every single episode and it's just those things where it's it's this guy that you know you know that's he's such an uh, approachable guy as, you know as he's presented in this book he's a he's a scientist but he's not a nerd he's not a social outcast he's got a sense of humor about things that he's got to have to survive i think day to day and and for me that's what kept this going of how does he keep it together because if you if you let that that fear creep in you know it can overwhelm you and it can crush you and as he says in the the end of the The film, and I I don't know if it's word for it in the book, but he talks about, you know, you have to to stay alive. You've got to solve problems, and you solve that problem, and then you take the next one, and you keep doing that. Just keep solving those problems, and the book does that, but in a way that is entertaining and engaging, and I was just – thrilled to see that translate to the screen there's a lot that's cut out for anybody that enjoyed the film I'm going to highly recommend the book because there's a lot more the science a lot more um, suspense I think in some parts that got cut there were some scenes that were cut I think for pacing and and rightly so uh, to keep things moving along but there was a lot of science drama and comedy in this book that I wasn't expecting and I just really enjoyed it it was one of those books I picked up and I think read it like in two or three days because I just could not put it down the way it was very accessible and entertaining.
0: Um, last question for those of us who have read the book. The the book deal came about nearly simultaneously with the publication deal because the book had been self-published um, you know, uh, before and, and had been, uh, I, I think, thoroughly vetted on Andy Weir's website uh, by the scientific community and, in fact, by NASA um, before it was published, with the exception of a few things that he notes, um, uh, that it, when, you know, when Weir notes that, uh, you know, he ran into some, things, some, some uh, engineers from JPL who did correct him on a couple of things—or on one particular thing af- after, um, uh, after the book had been published. But uh, for the most part, this had been a very well-vetted scientific uh, piece. Uh, but because the book deal and the movie deal came out and got popular all at the same time, we knew— that the character of Mark Watney was going to be played by Matt Damon really early. And I think for many of us, my, speaking mostly for myself, but many of us, I think, who were introduced to the book, were introduced to it knowing, in, in, I think, that Matt Damon was going to be playing the part of Mark Watney. Hmm. Um, did you guys have that experience, or did you discover the book uh, before you knew uh, of Matt Damon? Before.
4: Okay. I, I, I happened upon the book pretty early. So
0: how did uh, how did he do in, for the character of, of Watney for you? Phenomenal.
4: Okay. I thought he was great. I thought he was a perfect choice.
0: Steve? Oh, I
3: uh, I had a copy of the book, I think, before any casting was announced. So I, I did not have that. But no, when I heard that Matt Damon was cast, I thought that is perfect because he is able to to bridge that drama and comedy to have the lighter moments, but then also the seriousness. So to me, it was, it was just perfect casting. I think I did have some reservations and I think Matt Damon did as well as I recall reading an article that, you know, this following up on interstellar of playing the Mm. astronaut, you know, left alone. And, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that he took this opportunity to, to take this role because I think it i can 't imagine anyone else in this part. It was just such a perfect part for him.
0: It felt to me very much like castaway in that regard because he had you know he didn 't have his his basketball, but he did have his corporate sponsor GoPro in every single room, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic uh, i 'm with you, although for me, from my reading of the book, it was fascinating because uh, it was like Matt Damon was in my head the whole time from the moment I opened the book the first time, he was reading those lines, so it was a pretty easy transition
4: Matt Damon 's um, always in my head.
0: <laughs> you know, is that weird? If I can help it. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk, <laughs> Quiet, uh, <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the film. Let's let's talk about the film uh, and and see where that goes. Um, what is it, Andy, uh, about the films? Uh, the film that didn't light you up the way it lit up the rest of us.
1: I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, Matt Damon. I thought he was fantastic in the part. I agree with you guys there. I agree with all the casting. I think it was fantastic cast. I, I did find a number of the roles really flatly written, just complete, um, kind of stock characters that didn't do a whole lot. Uh, Jeff Daniels, um, and was one of them. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't drive me nuts or, or make me a, a, you know, it didn't bother me so much. I still, They still worked in context of the film. It was just for me. I mean, I went along for the ride the whole time. It's just nothing ever got me excited. Like, I was talking with my wife about it last night after the movie and relating how frustrating it was when there were scenes like when, you know, when he finally got the potatoes to grow or when he was figuring different things out. I never had... A moment that got me so engaged in the film that I was just really rooting for him like I did. Our comparison was contact and that fantastic moment in contact Mm. when um, John Hurt is talking to uh, uh, Jodie Foster after the first big transportation device gets uh, blown up. And he reveals that there is a second one that was built in Japan or wherever it was. And that wonderful line of want to take a ride and then want to you know, take and, a
4: ride. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that, I'm and floating upside down saying, as I'm saying that. that <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that that was one of those moments that I was just, you know, practically just bursting out of my seat i was so excited at that moment in contact because it just got me so into the moment in the movie and i felt like there were moments that they were trying to do that here and i never really got and attached to anything and i i don't know i was pinning it on ridley scott because i do find ridley scott to be a very cold filmmaker um most of his films i i find a lot of his films just amazing fantastic films but i do find a lot of them very cold um where you don't really attach to the characters quite as much um and this one felt that way here i just i never really got fully engaged with the characters never got fully engaged with the story i enjoyed it i enjoyed my ride all the way through it uh, much like everyone kind of enjoyed the journey of Everest, but I, it just never really got me into it. And I was just left kind of like, okay. And then, uh, like like uh, JJ was saying, when it did get to that final rescue, though, things shifted. And all of a sudden, I was really excited. And that whole the whole rescue scene, I really was excited. And that did a lot for helping me enjoy the, the last bits of the film. But I felt like it was just a, a little too late by that point.
2: I, it, it, it's interesting that you bring that up, Andy, because um, I, I felt the same way at those early points. I think that you're talking, the, the, the parts you mentioned about when he finally gets the potatoes to grow and those things, when they're in that sort of clinical exposition phase of the film at the beginning, I felt like the pace was almost too fast and too sterile. In the way that you're talking about Ridley Scott being cold. And I I felt that way too. And I was really nervous that that's where everything was going to go. And the turn for me emotionally was when they finally got the communication through to the crew on the Hermes. And uh, Michael Pena uh, gets to talk to him. And they use the same tone, the sort of jabbing tone that they did in that really short, I mean the really short pre cursor to all the terribleness that happens on Mars. It, it, we just saw it for a moment. It felt too fast at the beginning. But when they, all of a sudden they're able to speak their own language to each other in their sarcasm and in their wit, all of a, that's when it, it, the emotion awoke in me. And I was able to say, oh, I care about this crew. And there was allusions to it before that, but it was all moving so fast and it was all just told in the weird sort of journaling aspect and it just didn't make sense to me. But that at that time, it's where it all of a sudden started to break out of the the cold diagnostics of what's happening and got into that message. I wanted to kind of reach back to something, Steve, that you said about that final message that he says about um, solving the problem that's in front of you to get, you know, to, to live another day and to fight another day to fight that next problem. I thought that was such a great message. Um, and we talk of people, you know, I know Tommy, you didn't see Everest, but we talked about walking out of Everest about how it was not an inspiring film. This film had the, the science and the, the allegiance to the truth and then also made it inspiring. And so I went on that ride and it sounded like it started a little bit earlier for me than it did for you, Andy, but um, I I was really happy with the way that Ridley Scott and, and the, and all the filmmakers uh, put it together for me in this one.
0: You know, it's a funny comment too. I uh, n- not funny, haha, but funny, interesting that uh, that you would <laughs> say that about uh, Ridley Scott being a cold filmmaker. Because in that regard, I think this is likely the perfect film for Ridley Scott to make because it really is on on some level a. A, a cold bit of material, right? I mean, it is it is incredibly scientific, and it has that sarcastic wit, but it really is, um, you know, it's an engineering model uh, more than anything else. And the fact that Andy Weir was able to make the book uh, as uh, compelling as he was is a testament to his, uh, you know, his ability as a writer. The fact that I think, you know, we're able to get the sense of the engineering capacity of these teams that work on it um, is a testament to Ridley Scott's ability to see that material clearly and, and Drew Goddard's uh, ability to, to translate that material clearly. I, I found it really great. And so many times throughout the film, I found myself thinking, God, this is, uh, this is not a true story, and yet I feel like it is Apollo 13. Like, it feels... That real to me, they, it, right. it feels so grounded in the story that they're telling to me that I feel like I'm I'm rooting for Mark Watney uh, as if he was um, a real individual. Not
2: well, the very not the very near future, but the, the 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 shortly recent past.
1: Right. Yes. Exactly. JJ, I think that uh, the comments about the crew, I think, are actually quite spot on I really did enjoy the crew I thought that there was a great chemistry with the crew and maybe that's something that for me would have made it a stronger film is if I actually got to spend more time with the crew we have a full four months of basically you know not getting to see the crew as the before they finally reveal what's happened it, in this situation and for me, the crew was the most interesting part of the story. The NASA part and the science part, I mean, it was an interesting element to the story, but I never once felt like that's my Ed Harris down at Mission Control. i <laughs> never I yeah. never got That's emotionally fair. invested with any of these guys, and it drove me nuts about it. I mean, I still enjoyed it, but it still drove me nuts
0: I, i'm going I would definitely add on that point, Andy, and I, you know I saw it with Sophia too, my daughter, who has uh, she read the book and then she's listened to the audiobook start to finish now nineteen times and, oh, and uh, she is incredibly <laughs> invested in this story. It's like one after another after another, it's incredible and And so she walked out saying interestingly the very same thing. She said, I wanted more of the crew. I miss those people. And there." their community that they build on that spaceship uh, on the Hermes as they travel home is something that that is really missing um, and and uh, so I would agree with that and I think you know we just we get such a little a tiny dose not only that this the the Hermes in fact i think really shows the visual effects oscar race that is on for this year right. um, because i thought the spaceship itself the ship was incredible uh, it was beautiful and the way they shot it the way they played with gravity blew my mind that when they, you know, they were able able to soar down the center axis and then just kind of fall one way or another if they want to go to the kitchen or the gym or whatever. That blew my mind. How do they do that? That was so cool.
1: Um, it's funny that you say that because every time I saw them doing that, I'm like, that is some of the worst wire work I've ever seen. Did you think it was? I thought it was <laughs> oh, great. That was awful. And I
0: every time scared. I said it, I said flush out loud and I made myself <laughs> laugh. <laughs> Did, did you they, thought it was terrible? It makes me crazy. Uh, I'm did totally they really hanging not up strap in when they're outside
2: the ship? I, I thought. Oh my, it was, uh, uh, yeah. oh my well, god,
4: that made me. Ins- are we talking about that? Yeah. that made yeah, me Insane. I mean, that was oh. after seeing Gravity. They're just hanging <laughs> out like it's a huge El Camino. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? Strap in. What and are then you doing? it was the captain, captain the who, the
0: captain who, so leisurely said, "Yeah, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and crawl back along the hull. And he's like, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyway, I, uh, man, I feel like I want to see it again. I feel like I missed something because man, I loved that.
4: Well, One I'm other thing about be. the the yeah. crew
2: thing, yeah. I think uh, talking about the cast, I think that, that it sounds like from the book that the crew was a little bit more written in depth um, uh, than the the NASA group, right? If we put them into two bunches here, I think the crew w- either was w- was cast better or had or had deeper writing as well. It, it, we we look at Jeff Daniels and uh, and Kristen Wiig, two people that I love, but I thought their roles were actually kind of thin, and maybe that was what the, how they were supposed to be written, but I didn't connect with it and i didn't think they were perfect casts for those roles because of that whereas you know i go back to michael pena who's like now my new favorite after this and ant man but um but he just had me every time he spoke he had me and and i felt like i was connected to the crew and maybe i was supposed to but i liked their performances more than the people on the ground in general
4: i I thought Kristen wig was distracting yeah because her role was so small That you're—it's just tough to put someone like Kristen Wiig in such a small part where there's very little to do. In that you're waiting for something funny or something different. I think that it would have been better to just cast uh, less of a known person.
2: Yeah, they put they put baby in the corner on that one.
0: They did. But I'm surprised to hear you guys say that about uh, about uh, Jeff Daniels. I actually thought he was really good as the stoic of the group. And, me too. And to me, I walked out thinking, God, he was. This was like this was the season or the series finale of Newsroom that I really needed. Uh, which, if you didn't watch Newsroom, he, I thought he was great on Newsroom as Will McAvoy, and that it was it was essentially the same character. But I needed this film to wrap that story up. <laughs> right
3: where you're at Pete. I'm exactly the same thing. Is he's is he's up there at the press conference cuz I just finished newsroom probably about a month ago I think. I was like, "Oh, yeah, this is this is comfortable. This is familiar to me. I'm liking this." Hand to glove. Um, it just it just fit in so nicely. But I, I will agree I the the I wish there had been more time with the crew of the Hermes. There was a lot of depth to those characters that I think was lacking, but again, I think for in the service of pacing of the film it was something I was willing to sacrifice and maybe because I had all that background on those characters um, I could sort of fill in those gaps and so it didn't bother me as much as as perhaps you know JJ and, and Andy had issues with that that I was willing to sort of just coast along because I had that sort of in my in my pocket of of who these people were and a little bit more about them but i I, I will concede that yeah that I felt that that was something that you know was was lacking i can see how that could be sort of a little barrier obstacle for for people but i felt the movie just moved along so well uh, that i was i was willing to just to, to go on this journey and getting to the you know jpl and and nasa crew okay if we're gonna talk about thinly written characters all that but um i'm gonna probably totally forget the name here um what was his character's name, Bruce, who's the the JPL guy who they keep giving deadlines to. Yes. Love that character. He doesn't have that much time, but I just thought, okay, we don't have a lot of time with these characters, but that was one that was really unexpected in this standout for me was, okay, this is, I'm connecting with this guy a little bit more when they're in, in China, or they, they connect with China. He's like, oh yeah, my Uncle Teddy called in a favor. All this, I just, <laughs> there's so much to love about this guy. Yeah, that was great. Who's, His... you know, going to Apollo 13 of, you know, the engineers that is, okay, here's all this stuff. You guys have to figure out how to make it work. And the scene where they've got to, they've got to talk through all the weight, they've got to sacrifice, you know, for Watney to get there. There was just so much about that that I just found very entertaining. Maybe that was just me because it was something that was unexpected because I don't recall that character as thoroughly from the book as I do the Hermes crew and, and sort of the leads of JPL and NASA and uh, you know the flight you know but that was something that I just thoroughly enjoyed I don't know if you guys had that same experience with that character or that that aspect of the story that I did
4: can but I say was, something real quick that you can cut out
0: <laughs> just,
4: did, well, sure did, if
0: you're as long did, as you're setting the bar
4: yeah did any of you guys see the movie sunshine
0: oh yes. yeah we've, yeah. we've done about that about on the show, show.
4: oh we yeah. did oh that's so great because he played the guy that killed the crew Yes. In oh. effect on sunshine. He was the one that effed up, effed up is what he keeps saying and ends up committing suicide because he forgot kind of like they forgot to realize that the protein cubes would liquefy. Oh, yeah. He forgot that the shield wasn't moving or something and he killed the entire crew. So I was kind of like, hey, that guy, way to go. You're doing great now. He was also
0: we've we've talked about him a number of times and, and uh, didn't bring that up. We talked about him. Uh, he was in Moon. And he was in Prometheus. Yes. Uh, and oh, uh, and oh, yes. so, and, uh, you know, we haven't talked about some other films that he's in, but he, uh, uh, Benedict Wong is his name, and he's fantastic. The, my favorite part is not even a real strong kind of speaking scene. It's when he's got his arms around two other uh, Asian. Oh, yeah. uh, so he's trying to get him to smile. Do <laughs> you guys smile? You're supposed to smile. <laughs> that was so great. Um, you know, and and so I I, I very much want to hear your comments on the the rest of the the NASA stuff because for me, uh, and I agree with you. I'm with Steve. I'm going to concede that that it was it was thinner on the ground, even though I I still found myself really liking it. But for me, the bar has always been set. Again, not to you know uh, idolize too much Apollo 13, but when they come in and say, "Okay, we got to do this oxygen scrubber thing," and here's the junk we have to use to make it, I'm sure we all remember that scene. Apollo 13. I, <laughs> yes, Tom. I, uh, I really, uh, love that scene. And that scene energizes me and excites me. And every time we come back to NASA, uh, in this film, I wanted that experience. And I never quite got there. And that was really frustrating. You know, I mean, we got kind of close when they built the hexadecimal puzzle to, to actually um, alphabet to communicate with one another. I thought that was really cool. It just didn't quite get that level of emotional kind of um, uh, bond for me. I like we the getting... real genius moments with Rich Purnell, uh,
2: the you whole know, I... Donald Glover thing. I thought, I thought he was great.
1: I thought he was another uh, kind of flat character for me. I mean, I, yeah. I enjoyed that type of character. I just felt like he was in it like three scenes. You like, could do more. Yeah. That was, I mean, g- give me more of that. And, and, he and was, Sean Bean, too. Yeah. Sean Bean also, was, yeah, was in his most... in way, easy. gets killed in this movie, too. <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: now, okay, since we're talking about him, and I had to come back to verify that it was in the book, and it wasn't just because he was cast in this, but the Project Elrond. Which uh, is did that so not great. get the, the biggest
1: laugh in the theater for you guys as well? <laughs> uh, it certainly certainly my. It did. Laugh. <laughs> I didn't get
4: it, but it did get <laughs> the <to, it laughs> sure biggest I didn't. was like, "Why is everyone laughing?" Oh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 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 was it
0: Jeff Daniels who said, "If we're going to do this, I want to be—I want to be Glorfindel or something." Yeah, <laughs> <That's> yeah. so <laughs> right. good. Yeah. Uh, but
3: uh, Pete, to your to your point, I think we were getting more of that engineering problem solving with Mark Watney on Mars, and that's why we weren't seeing as much of on Devon- on Earth with NASA because we were already seeing him troubleshoot those issues up there. And then if we had that going on at NASA, we were just gonna have a lot of, you know, either montages or detailed explanations of science, you know, back to back. And I think it was more interesting to see how Mark on his own, with all those variables out of his control, was problem solving those. Mm-hmm. And then I, what I found interesting in the whole NASA JPL piece, and this is, sort as I alluded to in my, you know, intro, is that it's really about that collaboration and um, cooperation between different agencies. And even when it comes to, to China, of when they're there to, to launch that, that uh, Sean Bean's character, Mitch, is, you know, he's arguing with, like, the Chinese ground control guys, like, you know, why are you doing it this way? We haven't done it that way since like the 60s. But it's, right. that's the compromise they had to reach. And the fact that it takes nations to to put aside differences or even between NASA and, you know, uh, Teddy, Jeff Daniels' character, and that we haven't even talked about um, Vincent Kapoor, uh, Chiwetel's character over at the JPL, and then Mitch, the three of them, and how they have to really work together to balance what they need. Mitch is representing the needs of the Hermes crew. You've got Teddy as the head of NASA. He's got his PR that he's got to deal with, what they can and can't do, and how the three of those have to work together, collaborate to get him home to me was the dynamic that was more interesting to see going on there of how they're going to play against each other how they're going to circumvent each other to get what they need done but ultimately all in the service of a singular goal that they're all trying to reach and that to me is the dynamic that i i hope isn't lost on audiences that i hope in listening to our discussion come back to look at this film and say this is what needs to happen for things to change you know whatever you know environment we're talking about but that people need to start considering cooperation and collaboration out of the box thinking as a function that has to start happening for things to change and i hope that's something people take away from this film
0: i i i think that's a great comment uh steven i think um um, you, you know i think that 's one of the things I like so much about the film is that it really is a celebration of of um, of collaboration it's a it 's a celebration of problem solving that there is no um, you know, there's no artificial antagonist. You sort of think it's going to be Teddy, uh, you know, Jeff Daniels' character, uh, as the, the the stoic, the businessman, you know, he's going to be the guy. But it turns out, really, he's a scientist, too. Like, they're all trying to solve the same problem the only yeah. way they know how, but they're all trying to move forward uh, in the best interests of everybody involved. And I I really love that whole environment that's, that is celebrated in the film, whether it's communicated, you know, well enough, For everybody, I think is is a different story, but i I certainly i'm right with you.
4: That's a good point. In contact, there's no James Woods. Yeah, there is no just sort of evil pencil pusher, or no that'll cost too much, and that's all it cares. Even Jeff Daniels is trying to save the lives of five instead of risk the lives of six. So that is nice. It's a bunch of nice people doing nice things. That's pretty rare.
0: Yeah. I mean, just yeah. just even for dramatic reasons, you just throw in the the evil pencil pusher just just to create conflict, and and I think this is a story that celebrates the fact that you know what, there's enough damn conflict on Mars.
4: Yeah. Right. They
1: well, didn't and, need and, to
2: do
0: that. That was perfect.
1: Yeah, and I and I do agree. I mean, I, I did enjoy what NASA represented in this film. I just, like we said, I just wish there was more of the stuff in space. I will say, I. My favorite NASA character was Mackenzie Davis as Mindy. Oh, she's great. I, I had never seen before, but I loved her. She was like the one person that I was always excited about when we jumped to NASA.
2: Yeah, every time. Lo- loved everything she did on screen. Oh,
4: Can I really ask an exciting. embarrassing question? Yes. She, I'm sorry, she's the blonde one that gets the first signal? Yes.
0: Yeah, yep. she's yes. the one in charge of satellites.
4: Right. Um, embarrassing question. Who gave her the initial coordinates and why? I feel like I missed something.
0: That so, was uh, um, Mitch
4: Kapoor.
2: No, Kapoor did the initial coordinates to to look at.
4: Uh, yeah, oh, right, right, right. It was
2: Kapoor. Place. You're right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: K- yep. Why? And that's because uh, he saw it. He needed confirmation of what he thought. Got it. Okay. And she was the one to confirm that. And that's one of the things. Like I, I also liked her character. But one of the things that is most exciting about her character is that um, she goes from sort of zero to hero in the book. Like she is she's promoted very quickly and over the course of this two year period she she you know becomes a linchpin that's kind of central to, um, you know, communicating with Watney. And, um, I think her character in the book is really cool. And this one in in the film, I, I just, it didn't translate as fully as I wanted it to, you know, and she was actually, when she came on screen, this is my daughter looked at me. She was like, Oh, finally Mindy Park. I love her. She's my favorite character in the whole book. And by the end, she's like, why did they do that to Mindy Park? Like (laughs) that was horrible. Like they did not give her a life in, in the film. So it's interesting. Um, JJ, you mentioned in the beginning that you wanted to, you had some thoughts on uh, truth uh, and the portrayal of truth versus this versus Everest. Tell me what you're thinking. Well, I don't want to go too deep into the Everest thing, but we talked
2: a lot last month about how the, the, Filmmakers in Everest seem to have this allegiance to the truth, and were unwilling to take uh, leaps for uh, for story purpose, for dramatic purpose, and that's something that we can trace back. It sounds like, and I haven't read the book, but we can trace this back to Weir. Um, Weir has confessed uh, in uh, an NPR uh, article that I read earlier this week that the one major science flaw that is still in the book is literally the uh, the complicating incident. There are there is no possible way that wind storms on Mars can become that intense um, to tip anything um, because of the way that gravity works <laughs> and but he confesses that and the fact that he's willing to use that it, w- all the while having this major allegiance to science and to problem solving and to truth in what he wanted to create in this in this work of fiction i think it is stands in contrast to what we saw in everest of uh, it it in that it's a better story. It's more powerful. It comes out better. I felt that whole first section, that exposition section, that where they're just journaling all the different ways that they're going to solve these problems, I felt it was flat. But... As it transitioned into the drama of the rescue, Andy and I have already talked about this. Um, there was the emotion there, and it it, it did it for me. It, it was really good, and so I, I I wanted to sort of highlight that in the fact that yes, you can be truthful, and then you should also step out and make a great story to watch on screen. And I think um, I think Goddard translated it to the screen here really well, and I think Weir's courage to do that uh, to do both in this book is something that I really liked.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up, uh, that specifically that that issue, that the the inciting incident of the film is something that couldn't happen in a book that is so full of scientific accuracy, I think is really uh, wildly ironic. And I think I'm attributing this right. Check me on this if you know uh, better. But they, one of the things that Weir said, and I, he, I believe, attributes it to Chris Hadfield, a uh, Canadian astronaut who spent so much time up in space, who, who said, yeah— that we at in the space program, we know that that couldn't happen, but this is such a good story that we just swallowed it <laughs> that if <laughs> n- if if like the space people are going to swallow it, I feel like I can too yeah, yeah so well,
3: that's that's why I say this is the the science fiction film we needed, and when I walked out of the theater thinking you know again, harkening back to you know Mark Watney's speech at the end of the film, it reminded me of an article that Neil Stevenson wrote. Uh, Probably about five years ago, I believe, uh, called Innovation Starvation, where he really took the science fiction writing community to task, saying, you know, in the 50s, we had this golden era of sci fi that was creating these images of, of this possible future and science fiction has drifted off into these dystopias and we've reviewed several films taking place in these dystopias and he really called everybody out and said it's time to turn things around and where's the science fiction that's going to inspire scientists to create that second golden age of of innovation and i think this is what i'm seeing here is the the positive aspects of of science this is all you know grounded in reality i i watched this with with my youngest daughter also who loves science and it was great to see her as she's watching Mark try to solve these things, she's like trying to guess and anticipate like what, based on her scientific knowledge, what are some possible things that he can do? And to see her get excited about that, the real life application of things she's learned in school in this heroic effort for a man to, to save his own life was just thrilling for me of that's the science fiction that I remembered growing up and loving in the 70s and 80s was something that was like thrilling and positive and, and drove you out there to want to be that engineer or that scientist or that astronaut. And I'm, I'm really hoping that there are a generation of kids seeing this saying, I want to be Mark Watney, not having to save my life and survive out there on my own, but that this is realistic and possible, that within a few generations, we could be out there on Mars, exploring those I mean, just look at the vast landscapes that are that Ridley Scott put out there, but to to explore those worlds and it's it's attainable, it's reachable. And those are the stories, those are the science fiction stories that, you know, we need now is the the positive ones. And that's something that I was really thrilled to see come across in the film because one of the things that I loved about the book is that that excitement and energy about science being fun. Attainable.
1: Well, I will say something that did um, make me happy about this film is that NASA got so behind it in every way and helping so much because they they do see this as a great opportunity to leverage um, a stronger possibility of returning to space and possibly a manned mission to Mars.
4: That's NASA, smart. NASA, no dummies. Yeah, oh,
1: they're they're with it.
4: That's, I love it. That's actually NASA's new catchphrase. <laughs> <That's their laughs> NASA, we're no NASA, dummies. We no dummies. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool and i like what you said steve uh i mean it's a really oversimplification but what this film does do is really bring science back to science fiction that for a long time science fiction just means oh well we can breathe bubbles and we can do you know whatever just because you can and it gets involved with aliens and stuff versus really getting into the physics and all that kind of stuff of what you have to do to live in space so it's exciting yeah Uh,
1: Let's yes, uh, just uh, you mentioned the end of the book in his last speech and Pete You mentioned at the beginning of the show that they changed the end from the book. How did it change?
4: He died (laughs) <laughs> it was very he, it was he, much uh, more Everest yeah he, the, he died the, in the first it. chapter and the rest is just like <laughs> it's trying he to died on it. his keyboard. they just need so to bring the body of, home yeah it's just a bunch of ease <laughs> because he died with his head on the keyboard it's really weird
0: well and uh, I you know they made they and I think they had to for the for the movie but they they made uh the uh, Jessica Chastain uh hero uh, in in the end they needed to have them uh, she jets out into the thing in the movie and that didn't happen in the book. Oh. Uh um, what happened in the
2: book?
1: So the rescue is different in the book? The
0: rescue is different in the book. Um but I don't have it in front of me. Steve, you have the book open. Uh, what what actually
3: I, who I you know the as I recall, I mean the 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 what they have to pull off is is the same. He's at a different velocity and they've got to get out there but um yeah the Jessica Chastain character uh Lewis isn't there it's the two other guys that are there that have to go out and and they do it's the same thing but it's just he did fly
0: up in the convertible that happened but I'll tell you go ahead Steve I'm sorry
3: I was just gonna say as I recall it was the one of the other two guys that had to go out and and snag him to get him in so I think they they ramped up I think by including Lewis in that, play up that relationship with her character and Watney and her responsibility to him to have her take that uh, position out there. And I think they may have added a few little twists on it. Uh, with the tether and all of that stuff, which was beautiful looking, but I don't think it was that dramatic. I, I, I think it was just still a sort of high-speed snatch and grab him out of the upper atmosphere or whatever and reel him in.
0: What I was thinking about when I said that, though, Andy, is that they cut two, thi- two particular elements that were keystone events uh, in the film. Or, I'm sorry, in the mo- in the book, <laughs> in the film versus the movie. Uh, in the book uh, one of them w- involved his journey to uh, you know to the MAV. right as he he loads up all the batteries he does his thing and then there's in the book there's a giant storm that comes and he has to track this storm and to track the storm he has to drive these 80 kilometers and then place this little uh, receiver and then drive backwards 80 kilometers and wait 13 hours it's this long kind of wonderful um, uh, Journey with him that captures, I think, his suffering and his uh, his scientific ingenuity uh, in a way that I think is better done on this journey than it was in some of the areas that they that that we did get to see in the film. It was really really great. And the other one was his trailer overturns uh, right as he gets to the MAV, and and uh, um, there's this great big crash, and and they don't know if he's going to make it. And that to me was one of the most intense parts of the book that I thought was really really great. And it all happened. On his journey to get to the map, not after the after he got out. And so, I think they they cut some things that to me I think were were sad. And I may have personally made some different choices. But
4: what, if I remember what, correctly, what, oops, sorry, real quick, if I remember no, correctly, ahead. Pete, the first one, if I remember correctly, because by then in the book we were bouncing back and forth between NASA and him. Yes. And NASA knows much earlier than he does that that second storm is coming. Exactly. And that sets up a lot of cool suspense in the book that I do remember, because NASA's like, ah! And he's like, I'm tired of potatoes for like a while. That's right. Yeah.
0: There is a long, uh, long potato problem. Yeah. There there is much more. Potatoes are a much bigger kind of avatar of the book than even in the movie.
1: That's pretty funny. Yeah. I liked the bit when he ran out of ketchup and he's using Vicodin to season his <laughs> potatoes. I can. <laughs> did what did you guys think of the actual uh, denouement of the film with him in the class? Because I really just felt that was like a tacked-on ending that I did not like at all. I don't know if it's in the book or not, but for me, it's... it felt like it felt like a, one of those Hollywood endings that they had to come up with something. So let's put him in a classroom and talking to some new new recruits. Blah blah blah, and it just it for me just didn't work at all. It's not in the. It's
3: not in the book. The book ends very. I don't want to say abruptly, but it's like he gets off Mar. I mean, the whole thing is to execute the mission to get him reunited with the Hermes crew. And when that does, that's that's it. That's oh, done. Yeah. You know. So it's. I. It's like he gets there, and you know, he's like, "I'm home," or something like that. He still got. I think, it says like uh, he still has 211 days to get before he's back on Earth. Uh, he smells like a skunk. Uh, took a dump on some sweat socks. This is the happiest day of my life. And it ends there. Uh, I I liked the classroom part because as I, I've referred to it several times, I think it really drew out some of the themes that are present in the book. But I think due to cutting some things out, we it just helped tie that all together a little bit better. and It, it worked really well for me because I think it played to uh, some of the things that we get uh, through the logs and more time with Watney in the book to understand you know, his approach to, to how he's surviving this. And it gives him an audience to articulate that. Um, and it gives him a reason to do that. And I think, again, it comes back to the idea of the purposes of the story to, to motivate and inspire others. And to me, it worked really, really well.
0: I'm kind of on the fence on that one in particular I think one of the things that I think was so satisfying at the end like you could even cut him in the classroom and but but really celebrate the closing credit the initial closing credits run which I loved I loved 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 once they go back to the press and they're saying yes we're on our way to the to, we're doing the next thing how is this going to be different well we're going to try and bring all the astronauts home at the same time this time I, I thought that was such a wonderful way to end the film uh, I could have watched that I, I wanted to watch another movie after that I loved it I, I
1: agree I agree with that part pete i I did enjoy that part. It's just the classroom bit that for me just really yeah.
0: well
2: it seems silly, preaching. but I wanted a denouement so i I guess you know i I agree that it was kind of thin but um but now hearing what the book ended with, I'm happy that there was something so um you know i'm I'm mixed on it.
4: I got the feeling that they added the classroom bit. I My guess is that the original version was him walking, him drinking coffee, happy. Everyone walks by, runs by him saluting, saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Those are your new recruits. And he walks off into the distance, and it says day one. And that would have been fine. I think that's what the original was. And my guess, I don't know why I like conspiracy theories, but I think a bunch of people in test audiences and torrents were like, day one of what? What is he going to do with his <laughs> life? And that's why they added the... Uh, the hammer at home kind of classroom scene because the day one when it comes up is sort of a little bit of an awkward timing to then go to a classroom scene. So that's my guess.
0: Okay, as long as we're floating conspiracy theories, I've got one. The last time we see him in space... Uh, and this this may be an interesting uh, conversation about the visual effects in the film. The you know for me the only incredibly radical, crazy visual effect in this film that took me by surprise was his body when we meet it again as he walks out of the shower after you know, uh-huh. so long as as he was all withered away and he was Captain Blond Beard. Well, at that point. his body double, you mean? Uh, right, yeah. his head replacement. Um, yeah. But but there was some of that where where they were doing like they needed to show us him healthy again, right? Right. And so I, I get I the feeling that that they gave us they gave us Mark Watney in the in the class in the classroom to let us know that, you know what, he's not only did he did we rescue him, but he's healthy and strong and still contributing to the space program.
4: And I think that could have been achieved by just drinking coffee, being saluted and walking. All right. Fair enough. Andy, you're pretty cynical about the visual effects
1: just that one bit. Uh, you know, I mean, I thought everything on Mars was just pretty mind-blowing. I thought the the spot in Jordan that they filmed it in and just everything they did to create Mars looked stunning. It was just when they were zipping up and down the hallways. I agree, Pete. I liked <laughs> when they I liked when they did their turns and and darted down the ladders. That part was great. It's just the one hallway when they would shoot through that hallway. It always to me looked like they're just hanging on a wire getting <laughs> swung across a room. <laughs>
0: uh the the ship though the coolest uh, scene for me when uh sebastian stan and and um what's her name kate mara kate mara uh, when they're when she's on the rotating part and he's like waving to her outside and they're like each other and she rotates by i thought that was so cool i i just love the way they they portrayed uh, changes in gravity on the ship i i could have done that all day long
2: I was so terrified. Why didn't he strap in? Um, (laughs) Why didn't he strap
4: in? And actually that, I I was wondering if uh, Ridley Scott did that on purpose. Him blowing the kiss in that scene before doing something uh, scary. It seemed like a setup for a out of nowhere explosion.
2: Yeah, I was ready to be pinballed.
4: Me yeah. too. Yep. I was, to, Oh, JJ. I love it. Yeah. I was totally ready because there was so much, if there was one thing that was a little spoon feedy at times early on, it was people saying things like, yeah, if nothing else goes wrong and then yeah. something will blow up.
2: <laughs> and that I particular, ca- the nothing, something else goes wrong thing. That was actually, a. there must've been another line there because yeah. they hung on him as he's walking away for something. And then it, that was a rough cut, but, um, Yep. Yeah, I, I had that feeling of dread, especially towards the end of the film when we're getting into the rescue and that in that rotating scene that Pete, you're bringing up, I I, I always felt like something bad was going to happen. So I, I was actually taken out of the beauty of it a little bit, unfortunately.
0: Me too. Just because it was like a the build of false intensity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: it's like it's like how now in horror movies, if someone is looking at themselves in the bathroom mirror and they go down and wipe their face and come back up to the mirror and there's nothing there. It's because they know that we've been conditioned (laughs) to assume that there's a zombie cannibal devil demon. And for him to like say, oh, here's a sweet moment between two people that we don't know that much about. Oh, they're still alive. That was surprising. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. My favorite visuals were during the journey when he left the Hab and went to the Mav. um, I felt like, I think we've all talked over the last few months about how much I dislike 3D. And this is the movie thus far since we've started, since I've started with uh, the gang of thugs here that got the closest to being an effective use of 3D for me. Um, It still isn't one of, I still would argue that it's not perfect for 3D in that there's so much, uh, so much, focused on the cast as opposed to on the effects it's not the the james cameron you know every single scene is going to be taking advantage of it but in in general i didn't hate it and during that journey from the Hab to the mav the the wide shots and the different things they did with the different views the over the top view of the of the rover as you're on the there's a lot of neat things that they did to play with the 3d and the 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 scene the the place in Jordan where they shot everything so those were my favorite visuals were during that uh, that period
0: I think I'm even I w- more bullish on you on the th- than you are on the 3D I thought it was exceptionally well done and and the one uh, 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 sort of trope that they they use that i thought it was particularly well uh, uh, suited for was our view from inside the gopro uh where we have the two layers of of oh. transparency right where on one right in front of us are the are the symbols on the screen and then we look at him through it i thought that was really effective and and i i really liked it Mm-hmm. Well, I, this
1: was and this was actually filmed in 3D. Yes. Yeah. Right. I was curious about how the three D was gonna come off. I,
3: I opted for the larger screen in, in Dolby Atmos, but I was I'm very excited to go see this again. I'll probably do it and I was curious what the 3D looked like because I looked on Wikipedia to see, you know, is it a real 3D or not? And it's um and what Wikipedia lists is that it was shot with a red epic dragon camera and three ality TS5 rigs. Which just so sounds, yes. anything that says Red <laughs> Epic Dragon is like, I gotta go see something that's using that type of camera. So I thought it, it must be some really rich, vivid
0: 3D. Yeah, so, for my money, so. this is this was, the, I totally agree with it, JJ. This is certainly the best 3D of any of the films we've talked about, and it's some of the best 3D whoa, that whoa, I've seen
4: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oz, great and powerful. Oz, uh, great and powerful. Oh Come on, guys. Come on. Uh-huh.
3: tommy's gonna he's he he loved the 3d in battle of the five armies right is that what you're- oh god
0: oh that was your best that was your favorite i'm sorry i don't mean to you know kick a, kick <laughs> a film bad? while it's down <laughs> uh it's certainly better than 3d in uh, uh everest um yes. uh, okay i i would like the atmos report was this film uh, uh, suited for atmos
3: uh, you know, it was really immersive. It, it didn't draw me out of the film because sometimes there'll be things like, oh, I can hear that one isolated sound over there. Uh, but it just the, the storms and all of that were just really immersive. So it was really nice to just sort of really feel in it. Uh, during those moments, but there there wasn't a lot of uh, yeah small little things to to distract like oh we're gonna draw your attention because oh there's something clattering around in the background over there it it, it didn't distract because I've seen that happen in Dolby Atmos of sort of little atmospheric sounds to draw your ear over to that corner of the theater but it just really sort of did the full. Fill the theater with a soundscape.
0: I don't want to speak ill of, of an up-and-coming technology, but so far I have not seen a film that celebrates Atmos as much as the Atmos promo that plays before the film. Uh, and so I'm waiting, I'm waiting for that. Uh, you know, we haven't talked specifically about uh, Drew Goddard. I uh, I adore this guy's work. I think he's I, he's been great since, you know, Alias and buffy and you know from the beginning um let's can we talk just briefly about what uh, what we love so much about his part in this
1: i think it's interesting that he was actually slated to direct it he came on as the director for this film and i think he opted to go off and work on the sinister six and that's when ridley came in um I think that his stuff is. Uh, I, I mean, I I really know him mostly for his his films and for Lost. I was never in the Buffy Angel alias um, viewing crowd, but I mean, Cloverfield, Cabin in the Woods, World War Z. I those are all great scripts. I think he did a great job with all those, and I think he directed Cabin in the Woods really well.
0: And uh, Robo Apocalypse, he's slated to uh, write.
4: Isn't that in? <laughs> Developed have, Mark,
0: have you, I don't know, but have you, I, has, I that, read, has read anybody the
4: read that? You've read the
3: book. Okay. Good. Oh, like it's me. A, it's an awesome book. It's and an awesome a, book. <laughs> that was a Spielberg project for a while. Yeah, right, yeah. And I think he dumped that and then he picked up ready player one, but no, I was really excited. So if, if, if Drew writes this one and directs, I mean, I would love to see that. I read this, the sequel to Robo Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. It was part of my summer, uh, Dan, Summer, Summer of Daniel H. Wilson and Amped um, too, which was yeah, also terrific. Yeah. yeah, so I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, fingers crossed that this one, you know, comes through because I think, just like with The Martian, I'm, I think he did a very nice job of taking the, the soul of that novel and getting it up on the screen and, and making cuts that are needed to keep the story moving along while keeping the, the crucial heart of the novel there. I think in, in terms of mark watney's persona to keep that uh intact and play through so i yeah i loved you know all the films that we've mentioned yeah those are all things i because we did we loved world war z as i recall cloverfield's one that uh just yeah loved that as well so i'm i'm you know was really excited when I heard he was uh, adapting this one to see what he could do with it, and he did not disappoint in this case.
2: Who does this sound like? He then attended the University of Colorado and worked as a production assistant in L.A. after graduation.
4: Hey!
2: Hey. Why aren't
4: I Drew Goddard? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Wait a minute.
3: He stole your life! He totally did! I was wondering where all my pants went.
4: Oh...
0: I, I have not seen Cabin in the Woods. Am I the only one? Oh, how would oh, you love that? I just that. Why would what? I see that movie? Oh, my <laughs> Okay. God. Oh, you're right. That's right. No, Sorry. You
4: have You'd be closer, not... to JJ, because it's a talk about horror movies. Oh, it would my for you and I to watch together. Oh. It's not, yeah. It's not a horror movie. No, I'll do it. It's so much fun.
1: All right,
0: JJ, we're going to have a movie night.
1: I'll do yeah, it. All right. That's it. Yeah. uh we any, any... our list of movies to put on the show one of these days, Pete. Well, we, let's mm-hmm. let's do a Joss
0: Whedon joint,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, anybody else specifically you would like to talk about before we get to uh, the reason we all show up?
4: I'd like someone to say something about the soundtrack.
1: <laughs> well, we should do that. <laughs> I'm going to point to Andy. Oh, I okay. First of all, let's <laughs> into two. The music I thought was great. Harry Gregson Williams. Um, it, it worked well in context of the film. It's not memorable, but it, it still worked in context of the film. But the the soundtrack drove me nuts i don't know how it worked for you guys but i felt like this was uh them like the people behind the film and i I understand that it's in the book uh, as you talked about steve but it drove me nuts it felt like hey guardians of the galaxy did such a great job with all these classic tunes let's come up with our own classic soundtrack of all these oldies from the 70s and that like every time a song came on i'm like oh god another song that just feels so out of place i it drove me nuts
2: yeah, I didn't like the disco.
3: I oh no, the
1: disco is it's it's it's, it's it's such a
0: part of the book. Yeah, that's, the, the, part, a, that's, that's really I, yeah, the part. This is a that's really This is totally movie. a curse of timing with Guardians of the Galaxy. In this, it yeah. really is because the this the disco is so annoying in the book, and it's not even a movie. Or a stereo, <laughs> it is a book, and I was annoyed by it in the book. And I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be as annoyed as Mark Watney is in the book with all the disco. And so I think the movie actually carried that off very well. I was equally annoyed, Andy. I, I, I just am not, uh, you know, maybe it's, I'm too close but to it, that era of my youth. that.
1: But it also made no sense. Like, why, why is she the only person who is able to bring music up? Why didn't he have his own music library to listen to? All he could listen to was Captain Lewis's music? Like, that made no sense to me.
0: Well, everybody brought different things, like right, different so, personal items.
1: Right. right. So, didn't yeah. he have his own personal music that he brought? He I brought, mean, he's he's got brought other stuff. stuff. Right. So he brought he brought Happy Days. Right. That was
0: somebody else brought uh, Three's Company, and right. uh,
4: yeah, right. At, Very limited And Michael choices. Pena just brought a cross. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> Why was Good his book so
2: small? <laughs> so. And, and I will say that staying with the book I get it, it probably was a really important part of the book but the way they used the, the soundtrack in the movie was for effect yes and it, it seemed it, it was for a comedic effect in the movie uh, as you know and was supposed to take us emotionally to some place of either his annoyance or his motivation or whatever it was and those songs in particular didn't it just seemed contrary to what we were trying to get from the scenes and uh, it, it for me because I hadn't read the book and because I wasn't in there with that place, it I, again, I didn't like the
0: disco. So, did did, did so, anybody note the the uh theater laugh during the final uh, when the final song comes up and they yep. play <laughs> I Will Survive? I Will Survive, yeah. Everybody,
2: oh,
3: yes, there. it was, yeah. It, it, to, I mean, to the point of, yeah, it, it it's added for effect. So, when he says, I've gone through all of Commander Lewis's you know, music, this is the least disco song, and plays it, and you've got that, it's to me, it was again reinforcing his his persona, his character of this, I can be, you know, a little disrespectful to my superior. I can be mocking. This is the sense of humor. It goes to the scene where he's, he's, they they establish contact and he's typing and he finds out they haven't told the crew and the, we've got in JPL, he's like, Oh, you know, what the F word F word gerund form, you know, and how in a, to keep this movie PG 13, how they sort of worked around that of, yeah, he's aware of this. And he's like, you know, calling them out on these things. And there's this a little bit of defiance to, you know, those authority figures. And, and to me, that was just that playfulness that he has, but also this uh, little confrontation with authority that he, you know, isn't going to always do. He's out on his own. He is the pirate, you know, he's, he's a space pirate. He, they can't stop him from doing what he needs to do. And it's, to me, it was, again, just more about his character and that aspect of, of him.
0: I, we we should bring up the uh, the language, which I thought was expertly handled in the film for the adaptation, uh-huh. because the book was. I mean, he does, he swears a lot in the book. This is a hard R. If you if you really give Mark Watney the the mouth that he has in the book.
3: Which is why you've let your daughter listen to the audiobook nineteen times.
0: Uh, yes, yeah. She is she is now expert, <laughs> like <laughs> sailor level expert. <laughs> she has just returned to, to port uh, after a long journey at sea. And that's that's the level of expert she is. They uh so they they did give him, I think, the most important F bomb. Uh they let him say out loud it wasn't quite the way he said it in the book, which saddens me. Yeah. Uh, you know, because <laughs> Because the very first line in the book is, you know, is so perfect. Um, but, uh, but I think they gamed the ratings board in a way that really demonstrates how stupid the MPAA is that we are judging a film like this on language uh, when it, is, it really needs to be seen by more youth. And that's Agreed. enormously frustrating. So um, I, I think it's uh, I think they did, a, did it great. They did the the wonderful where he's mouthing the you know f bomb f bomb f bomb f bomb f bomb and he's you know but it's through the glass so you can't hear it. You know exactly what he's saying, and it's so. funnier that way. It is. I, I, it's I it's like the idea that of way. it.
4: Yeah, almost like patting the MPAA on the back. Yeah. Sometimes uh, it makes it forces imagination and ingenuity. Yeah. And just having him yell F-bomb would have been kind of like a emotional scene. This way was like a really funny reaction to something.
0: Yeah, cool. and I, I think that's right. But it, mostly what's funny about it is the, is the putting a hat on a hat part. It's the fact that we all know that right. we're playing this game because uh, prude old people can't handle hearing uh, swear words. Mm-hmm. And, and that's enormously frustrating, I think, sometimes, particularly when, you, when you're looking for broader distribution on a film like this. Agreed. I guess I'm done. <laughs> I think it's time to rank it
4: his name was Watney he was a Martian he survived many close calls stranded for hundreds of souls and then he accidentally froze his interstellar potatoes they say if he dies on Mars his body won't decompose he's a Martian let's bring him home (laughs) time to flick chart (laughs) the beast survived so many souls (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, rhyming dictionary. Yeah. Right. Cool. Oh. That goes to the
0: top of my song chart. That's oh, awesome. Totally. Head go. over to flickchart.com TNR film board to check in on all the films we've talked about on this very show. Sign up with Flickchart, start your list, and uh, let's go see if we're uh, Flickchart best buddies.
1: All right. First up, we have The Martian or Cloud Atlas. The Martian. The Martian. The Martian. The Martian. I, I would say Cloud Atlas just to be uh, just, the negative Nelly there. Hate. Yeah, we know. No, just, just, to, just to be different. <laughs> just that. to
4: throw a vote Jeez. down the toilet. That's sure. right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Martian or uh, Michael Peña's other great film of the year, Ant-Man. I am Ant-Man here. The
0: Martian. The Martian. The Martian. Do, does my vote count? No. I mean, no. Okay, yeah, thank you. I still want to hear it. Come on. The Martian. Okay.
1: I want to hear all it because right, I
0: want right. to see, I want to listen to Andy shrink with every vote.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I am, I am. The Martian or the man from UNCLE? The Martian. Martian. I'd say Martian here, actually. The Martian. Well, but nice. closer than the other ones. Was The Martian enemy. or Kingsman of the Secret Service.
4: Hey. Kings- Curses. Kingsman. Kingsman.
1: Steve? JJ?
2: Just before my time.
0: Oh, Oh, that's right. uh, Oh,
3: oh, well, I know this way this will go. Because I'm going to pick The Martian because I think it has something more important to say to society than The Kingsman does. Although The Kingsman is a tremendously entertaining film on merit of social significance, I'm picking The Martian.
4: Why don't you just go marry space?
0: God, I changed my vote. I (laughs) agree with Steve. Somebody needs to tie it, untie it. Steve just made me feel small. Steve.
1: Mission accomplished.
0: Steve and Andy, <laughs> I uh,
1: okay. Oh, Were um, you going
0: to change your vote? Was you going to make no, it easy? But I already oh. clicked it. And it oh, we, <laughs> oh. oh. It up. Okay, don't do up, it. Up, Forget up, up, it. Up. Oh, technology has bested us again. If I,
1: can, right. I can, I can, I can live with that. I can. It's uh, it's acceptable. It's, well, that lands it at a number five on our chart of thirty. That's a good place That's to That's a good oh, place. I'd like it to be.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Whoa. Why don't you go watch it in the portico, Andy?
0: <laughs> you can go back and watch Hobbit 3. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, and I think we need to go around and uh, update our letterbox uh, for this uh, film, yes? Yes, we do. How's that for my memory, Andy? Very good. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, by the way. You bet. <laughs> I um, I'm gonna give this one for me a solid solid four and a half.
4: All right, oh, I'm a four.
1: I'm a four and a half.
4: I'll go four. My name's Tommy.
1: Tommy at four. I'm I'm a three on this
4: one. I'll I'll do
1: three and a half.
2: Cool.
0: No, so mm.
1: figure out what that average is here.
0: Complex calculus, complex calculus, engineering, engineering,
2: and it's like if Interstellar was Ferris Bueller's day off, or if Contact was real genius,
1: or if gravity Ooh. had any science. Tommy, yeah. what was your rating again?
4: I don't remember. He uh, said four. I think four. Four. He four. Said four.
1: Okay. Somehow <laughs> it uh, I didn't actually type it in.
0: Uh, okay, so we already have next month's picked. Uh, auspicious month where do we go from here
1: we're going to be uh bringing in a, a fun james bond film into our film board here with specter the
0: first time we've ever talked about james bond yes. i think right wow. we've done no james bond anywhere Love wow it. you
3: guys got a cramming a lot of movies to do a series on James
0: Bond when, <laughs> that when it comes to theaters yeah. <laughs> we'll be starting our daily James Bond series
1: <laughs> uh, we talked about that, we're like that would be uh, like an entire like a half year's worth of shows yeah. yes.
0: wow. <laughs> not ready to make that commitment yet but very excited to see Spectre, that should be uh, should be an awesome show yes, so, it will. Right. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this uh, very special episode of The Martian, Tommy, always great to hear from you
4: Thank you for having me. We did it. We did it.
0: JJ.
2: I love you guys. Talk to you soon.
4: We love you too.
0: Steve.
3: I'm out of here like Iron Man. Iron Man, Captain. Iron Man.
0: (laughs) Okay, we should have talked about that too. That was so good. And uh, Andy, I will talk to you on Thursday.
1: Absolutely. Talk to you soon.
4: He's doing it. Podcasting. It's good for America. Should we stop recording? <laughs> Should I stop recording? Gonna, no, no, no. I'll just keep going. Stop
0: when you stop, Tommy. Okay.
4: Podcasting. <laughs> it's the new baseball and apple pie podcasting. All right. I didn't think that through. Let's do this.
0: we cool supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man,
1: and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune.
0: And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's
1: fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories.
0: And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu.
1: That's right. thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports The Film Board and The Next Reels Family of Shows.
0: So what are you waiting for? Head to the slash originals and get your next read today.